Thank you very much. Gosh, thanks, Ken. Thank you for that intro. How are you, folks? Are you all right? Good, good. Well done for making it. This is kind of like the graveyard shift at the end of the afternoon. This is like where you're starting to get a bit sleepy, especially if you've been in a tent. So um, it's fantastic that so many of you have, have come to be with us and to think about this quite interesting question. You know, Jesus wasn't a politician, was he? And uh, to be honest, I end up doing this sort of thing a lot at conferences and events and festivals, sharing and explaining the biblical case for getting involved in politics and getting involved in the public square. And often by the end of an hour with people, people will come up to me and say, okay, Andy, you've convinced me. You've convinced me that I now believe that Jesus was political. I, 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 you've convinced me. I believe that Jesus was political, but he wasn't, he wasn't a politician. And it's like they're going like, ah, gotcha, gotcha. You've convinced me that Jesus was political. I, I understand that. Now, I understand that when he was challenging the religious leaders of his day, the religious leaders were also the political leaders of Israel. You know, life in Israel, like mind, body, soul, spirit, there wasn't a separation between religion and politics. Life was one. You know, the temple was like a civic center. It was less like a church building, it was more like a civic center, you know, where lots of community stuff happened. So when Jesus challenged the religious leaders, he wasn't just challenging the religious leaders, he was challenging the political leaders. He was being innately political. So people will say to me, okay, you've got me, you've got me. Jesus was political, I, I, I admit that. But he wasn't a politician. So I don't think we should get involved in politics as politicians, as Christians. We should stay out of that. We should stay. We'll leave that to other people. We'll, we'll stay out of it. And at that point, depending on how well I know the person, I'll maybe very cheekily or maybe trying to be a bit polite, I'll say, well, the truth is Jesus also wasn't an accountant. And he, and he also wasn't an airline pilot. Are you saying that the only job option that's open to Christians is to do carpentry? Is that, is, that, is that what we're saying? Because that's, that's the kind of thick end of the wedge of that line of thinking, that actually, all oh right, we need to follow Jesus and live the way he lived. Right, okay, all right, we're all gonna be carpenters. That's not really what we believe, is it? We're called to live as he lived and serve as he served, but that's not gonna mean actually following his life like a carbon copy. We're probably not called to die on a cross, but we are called to follow him and live the way he lived. And I think that has some serious political implications. And I think that is something that is not just something that we're called to as Christians, but something that's incredibly exciting. So I just, for the first little while this afternoon, I wanted to give you, I guess what I would call the biblical case to get our Bibles ready and to look at why God calls us into politics. And the biblical case, the guys at the back, Ian and Peter, have very kindly uh, given you the book that I've written all about this. And so um, I'm afraid we do have to take them back again, unless you want to, you know, give us a tenner, then you can keep it. But, but, um, but feel free to flick through it. If I'm getting boring at any point, just feel free to, you know, flick through the book. But there's a whole chapter in the book called Route 66, where it goes through all 66 chapters of the Bible, all 66 books of the Bible. And it explains how in every single book, God's passion and heart for good governance is screaming out through the pages of scripture. 
screaming out, whether you're looking at the ideas of Jubilee and Sabbath through the Old Testament, looking at the way the New, Test- the, the New Testament church operated, looking at how Paul told folks to pray and respect authority all through Scripture, not just in the classic verses, but all through. It's pretty clear that God cares how society is ordered. But the first thing we're going to look at is not just that he cares about society being well-ordered, but that he actually expects us to play a part in that good ordering of society, bringing order from chaos. So can I borrow one of these? Is that all right? Thank you so much to take yours. So if you've got your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go right back to the start. Okay. In Genesis chapter 1, it says this. It says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is verses 26 to 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What an incredible call. Read those words again. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Incredible words. And they're words that have been really important to us in these last few years, especially as we've considered this role that we've been given in all of creation, over the breadth of creation, not just human beings, but all of creation that we are responsible for. And we've been learning more and more, haven't we, about how we haven't treated that creation particularly well, and that we haven't been responsible stewards, leading to stuff like climate change, leading to the stuff that we end up campaigning and getting frustrated about. And where our brothers and sisters around the world, their towns and cities are disappearing into the sea, and their harvests are being wrecked because of that climate change. So we have realized these verses are important, and we have focused on them. But I think sometimes we've been so focused on the what of these verses that we haven't stopped to think about the when of these verses. So thinking about when these verses come, when this call to Adam and Eve into public leadership, into leading in the public realm, into leading in their society, when did that call come? Any any answers? Put your hand up and just give me a shout. There's no wrong answers. When When did this call happen? Everybody's looking at their feet all of a sudden. It's not a classroom, honestly. Right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. Absolutely. Right at the beginning. So it must be pretty important to be right at the beginning. And what else strikes you about it? The fact that it's right at the beginning. What else does that mean? It's very important. Right at the start. Yes. Any other thoughts about what it comes before? Yes. Who said that? David said that. The call to Adam and Eve to be involved in public leadership, to be involved in their society, not just within the four walls of the church, but to be involved all throughout the spheres of culture and society. It happens before anything goes wrong. It happens before the fall. This call to be involved in our society happens before anything goes wrong. Because you see, it's a very tempting thing to look at politics, especially looking at politics on this island. I think, oh, there's politics. What a nightmare. 
It's a necessary, but it's a necessary evil. You know, it's an awful thing. It's a dirty job, but it's a necessary evil. Somebody has to do it. It's a necessary evil to constrain evil. You know that idea, well, we need speed limits, so somebody has to decide what the speed limits are. And so, well, we'll, we'll, we'll outsource that to the people who don't believe in God. We'll let, we'll let the other people get on with that. And we just make it a practical response to a world falling apart. And we think, well, okay, politics is a necessary evil to constrain evil. Because we live in a fallen world, we need politics. But that's not what Genesis 1 is saying. It's the opposite of it. It would appear Adam and Eve are needed to be involved in leadership in creation before anything goes wrong. It would appear that even perfection needs managed, as, as your subcamp leaders will tell you. Even, even perfection needs managed. And the beautiful thing, it makes sense because not only right back at the start of everything is there that call to be involved in leadership in the breadth of society, but forever, that's what we're going to be doing. There are so many verses in Scripture that talk about how we will be ruling and reigning with Him forever. And that's what we're going to be doing forever. Again, perfection, eternity being managed. And this bit in between, you could just call our apprenticeship. This is our apprenticeship, getting ready for that future perfection, relating back to that original call to Adam and Eve. That's what this time on earth, we're here to demonstrate through acts of love and joy and peace and patience and compassion and goodness. We're here to demonstrate that future perfection. And the great thing, I'm going to draw a picture, is that all right? And the great thing is that we don't have to build that future perfection. This is not building the kingdom. We're not called to build it like that really thing that makes you feel like, oh gosh, there's so many needs in the world. There's so many challenges. We're called, oh gosh, we've got, to, we've got to be worrying about trafficking. We've got to be worrying about fostering. We've got to be worrying about poverty. We've got to be, it's like, you know, church leaders especially, and maybe you looking at the internet, looking at the needs of the world, you just end up going, oh, I am so tired. There is so much need in the world. But the glory of these verses is in Genesis 1. It said, your involvement in the world is not just a response to the need of the world. Even if there was nothing wrong, you would still be called into this work. This is a divine calling. This is holy vocation. This is God asking you, calling you to image his rule and reign. Those verses say that he was, we were made in his image. We're there to represent him. That's what an image is. Have any of you done physics where you do all that stuff with images and objects and lenses? You know, physics classes? Yes, some of you have done that. You know, you've got the diagrams. And, and what is an object? It's a representation. It's an image is a representation of the object. So you think of a movie and you're looking at like a two-dimensional image of a three-dimensional reality. You know, if somebody took a video here of what's going on out here on the sport, that's happening in three dimensions, but then you can watch it on a screen in two dimensions. An object has become an image. You know, you think of what you do when you get a lens or your glasses, with the, when you're looking up at the sun and you create a little speck, a little circle of, uh, of light on the ground, or you try and like maybe burn a spider, or you try and get a piece of paper. Yes, a few people are admitting that, that they've done that. I used to do that at school just to get my glasses and to try and, try and focus the sun's rays down onto just a little spot and it would just burst into flames. That's, that little white circle is an image of that incredible object. 
that unbelievably this amazing ball of gas 93 million miles away, this incredible sun, we can represent it in a little white circle. And it's a representation of that incredible thing. So in the same way, we look at God and God, how could we possibly represent you, God? How could we possibly be your ambassadors? How could we be possibly the people to represent you? It's because we are made in his image. We have got the stuff of God in us. We have got divine DNA in us. That's how he calls us to represent him in this world. And we don't have to build the kingdom. It's not all on our shoulders. But what he does call us to do is to demonstrate little moments of beauty, little moments of perfection, little moments of joy, little moments of kindness and compassion that demonstrate that future perfection. You know, let's not think about physics. Now let's think about chemistry. Have any of you done those experiments in chemistry class where you get little bits of metal, little bits of sodium, potassium, magnesium, and you expose them to oxygen? You've done that, people are, and, and it, it, bur it burns like brown and orange and green and purple, depending on the metal. And they're beautiful moments, and they burn and explode. And those are beautiful moments of sodium oxide or magnesium oxide being formed, but they're only a small little reaction compared to what's happening in a big industrial plant somewhere. But they're helping you learn what happens in that big industrial plant. It's a demonstration. That's what we actually call them in chemistry class, isn't it? They're demonstrations. So in the same way, our little efforts, our little moments, our desire for good legislation, our kindness in helping somebody across the road, they are demonstrating the perfection of the kingdom, that future perfection, the glory and beauty of eternity. They're demonstrating those moments. And that's what we're called to. That's what Adam and Eve are being called to, to represent his rule and reign. And you might think, Andy, what... Wait, but this doesn't really matter. Does it really matter whether their call happened before the fall or after the fall? Does it really matter? And believe me, having been involved in politics now for about 20 years, it really does matter. Because the people who get involved just because they see a problem in the world and they want to fix it, but then the first time they get involved and the first thing they try doesn't actually fix the problem, or the first time they try to get selected to be a candidate or a counselor and they don't get selected... And then the first time they try and they get selected, but they don't get elected, somebody else beats them, or they get taken down by the toxicity of social media. So often, if you've just got involved for functional reasons to try and make an impact, to try and fix a problem, and something goes wrong, you go, oh, well, this doesn't work, and you step back. But if your metric is different, if your reason for being involved is a divine calling, a holy vocation, and you know that you are called to represent his rule and reign, to image him, then you realize that sometimes that will look like winning, but sometimes it will look like losing. That it's not all about the impact you can have, it's being faithful and representing his rule and reign. And there are people involved in Christians in politics, which I lead, people involved from right across the political spectrum involved in Christians in politics and loads of them basically lose every four years for Jesus. Every time an election comes around, there's somebody, you know, they're like a Labour Party member in a deep conservative area in England somewhere or they're a, they're a you know, conservative party member in a deep red area and they know they're going to lose because that's what happens in that area. And some of you who are involved in Northern Ireland politics have, you know, similar experiences, I'm sure. You know, you know you're not going to get elected, but every four years they have this opportunity to knock hundreds of doors and hear hundreds of stories and to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves and to speak some truth into the public square. 
And the reason I'm sharing this with you guys today is because I know this call to be involved in the public square. As you guys get involved with good, sincere hearts, and as you experience that call, that you might even hear that call this afternoon to be involved, especially in this part of the world, it's going to be a very long and hard road. And you're not going to see results next week. And you might not see results next month. And you might not see results in a year's time. In fact, you might take a lot of flack. In fact, it might be actually sometimes scary. And might actually feel physically dangerous at times. To be saying something different and to be speaking truth into the public square in Northern Ireland especially. But do you not think that there's maybe just the chance that in 30 years time somebody might look back and say, oh, do you know what? Something happened in the summer of 2023. There was this thing called Summer Madness and a bunch of young people decided they weren't just going to sit on the sidelines and commentate about politics, but they decided to get stuck in and get involved. And for years and years, what they did didn't have any impact, but gradually the fruit came and gradually the spirit came and gradually... And look what's happened now. Look at the different place we're in. Look how politics has been changed for the better. Do you think that's possible? I do believe it's possible. And it's maybe easier for me saying that somebody coming who has seen stuff like that happen in various places in the world in politics. I've seen God people get involved and I've seen miraculous things happen. I've seen unbelievably miraculous things happen. People getting elevated to positions that they just shouldn't. Because I really believe in the church. And I think sometimes we undervalue the church. We undervalue what we learn in the church. Being involved in the church gives us such a head start when it comes to being involved in politics. Such a head start. Number one, when we're involved in a church, we're often learning some public speaking skills because we're doing this sort of stuff. We also learn some conflict resolution skills. We often learn how to run a rota how to organize a rota, all of us do in and around churches. We're involved in organizing things, we're involved in bringing people together. We learn a whole set of skills that often people in other areas of society just don't get a chance to. Number two, the church is now involved in the most amazing array of projects and programs in the community that are reaching out to communities all around this place. And so often, Christians are best placed to understand where the needs are in their communities. Often they are best placed to then go ahead and then represent that community because they've been involved hand and eye and face with people, not just running projects, not just running programs, but actually building relationships with people who are struggling. So often Christians are best placed. And then number three, I still believe in the person of the Holy Spirit. I have the privilege, I have the privilege of getting emails and text messages from friends who aren't Christians or who are Muslims, who work in politics, who are going, we went and campaigned with your friend Susie, and there's just something about her. There's just something about her, and it, it's the Holy Spirit. There's something, people shine. It's not even that difficult. If you turn up at a local political branch meeting, if you turn up to a political party meeting, if you turn up on time, if you do what you say you'll do before the next meeting, if you, if you bring biscuits, if you bring even a shred of creativity and optimism, you're straight away in the top 5% of local operatives. Believe me, it's true. I've seen it happen time and time again. There's an amazing lady called Andrea Robinson, read, read the book and felt really challenged and joined her local political party in, in Doncaster. And literally the, the week she turned up, they made her vice chair. They liked her so much. 
six months later, she was asked to stand for council, and for the last three years, she's now been a local councillor in Doncaster, serving the community, bringing the work of the church and the local council together in the most beautiful, beautiful way. It's incredible. It's incredible. And sometimes we imagine there's a glass ceiling for Christians. And it's just not true. God's people actually shine. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying there's not going to be some tough stuff. There will be. But God never promised it was going to be easy. Jesus never promised it was going to be easy. This is a challenge. This is a challenge to get stuck into. And it's actually a place we will grow. It's a place where we'll be stretched, where we'll need each other, where we need to pray, and we'll need God's help. Can I draw you another diagram? Is that all right? Because sometimes we've got stuck into this thing of, well, if anybody's got leadership skill and leadership potential, then actually what they should be doing is leading within the four walls of the church. They should be getting ordained. And I think some of that has come because, and that's great, and that is exactly what God calls some people to. But I think, as you heard in the last seminar, if you were here, that God often calls people to leadership in other areas of society as well. But I think one of the reasons we've got stuck in what you might call that sacred, secular thinking is verses like, we've looked at one bit from the Old Testament, we're going to just look at one bit from the New Testament. Do you remember the story where the Pharisees asked Jesus, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? This is in Luke chapter 20. If you're taking notes, look at Luke chapter 20. And uh, has anybody got a Bible that could read Luke chapter 20, verse 20 for me? That would be incredibly helpful. Who's going to get there first? This is like, it's like a holiday club game. Luke 20, 20. Who's going to be there first? Who's going to be there first? Brilliant. Sir, would you come up and read it for us? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Paying taxes to Caesar. Keep a close watch on him. They sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. Carry on. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. And he said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. Thank you so much. Round of applause for Gareda. So. Jesus' famous answer to that question was give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. So they were saying, you know, where, where, where do we give our allegiance, our authority to the government and where do we give it to God? And Jesus said, interestingly, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give back to God what is God's. And some translations say, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. And that's a very famous phrase. And you see, for years we've listened to that with our kind of Western individualist mindset and thought, well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. And we've got, all right, render unto Caesar what is Caesar. Well, let Caesar look after the broadband and the bins and the taxation, all the practical stuff. And then we'll let God look after the prayers, the hymns, the invisible things, the Sunday morning things. And we'll go, oh, phew, great. It's so handy to have that separation. None of that awkward mixing of religion and politics. Thank you, Jesus. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. But the truth is, nobody listening to Jesus in first century Palestine would have heard him like that. 
because they, as we said earlier, realized that life was one. Body, mind, spirit, all one. The civic center was the temple. The religious leaders were the political leaders. They weren't thinking of life separately like that. When Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's, he was, that's the sort of circle that you're drawing. That's the picture you're drawing. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's. That Caesar has a small area of delegated authority underneath and inside the context of God's supreme overall authority. And that's why God does care about what goes on in the governmental space. He does care about taxation, and he does care about the bins, and he does care about the broadband. He cares about those things because they're all under his authority. And Jesus underlined that again. Do you remember his conversation with Pontius Pilate? When he's having this back and forth with Pontius Pilate, and he said to Pilate, he said, you would have no authority, but it was given you from above. And often when we hear those lines, we think, oh, that was Jesus doing a smackdown on Pilate. You know, you, but actually, he was affirming Pilate's earthly authority. He was affirming the fact, in the same way that Paul does all through his letters, he was affirming earthly authority. He was affirming that he had authority to manage and help order the world, but he was reminding him where that ultimate authority came from. It's a beautiful thing that we are called and asked into this world of ordering his good world. It's a call to us. It's a call to us today to be involved in it. And there are so many different ways to be involved that God can lead us into. And with Christians in politics, we're there to help, I guess, shepherd people like yourselves into the world of politics because it can seem like a pretty scary place. It can seem like a pretty dirty place. It can seem like a pretty scary place. It can seem like a pretty tribal place. But my bath has never got cleaner by me standing outside it saying, be clean in the name of Jesus. My bath has sadly only ever got cleaner by me getting into it and scrubbing it. And believe me, I don't say that lightly, knowing how hard it is to get involved in politics, especially in the north of Ireland. Very difficult. But my bath has never got cleaner by me getting, standing, shouting at it. The other thing that people often say to me, said, Andy, I love what you do. I love that you're involved in all the politics stuff. You know, bless you. Bless you for that. And when somebody says bless you for that, you know there's something coming next. You know, bless you for that. But I, if I got involved, I would, I would fear that I would get polluted. I would fear that I would get corrupted if I, if I got involved as well. And, and so I think it's better for me to stay safe in sort of church leadership. And, and at that point, I'm going, well, can I let you in on a secret? You, you already are polluted. You already are corrupted. You know, I could talk about the cars that we probably, most of us drove down here. Just putting petrol in those cars is supporting some fairly shocking Middle Eastern states that are oppressing Christians and oppressing women. You know, I could talk about all the food that we're eating while we're here, which has been bought from supermarkets that have pretty ropey practices with both local and global producers. I could talk about the crystals in your mobile phone that have been produced via slave labor in Africa. I could talk about your mortgage. I could talk about your broadband. I could talk about air. We are polluted. We are corrupted. We are present in a fallen world. And we are colluding with it every single day by the clothes we wear, by the stuff that we watch on screens. We are part of it. So to ask the question, should we get involved, is a nonsense question because we are involved. The question is, are we going to do anything about it? Are we going to be involved to see change? 
to not just be helping people, to not just, as Martin Luther King said, be being the good Samaritan on life's roadside. Because the church is brilliant at being the good Samaritan. We're great at giving people food. We're great at helping young people. We're great at counseling people with their debt. We're great at doing all that great stuff. But as Martin Luther King said, at some point, somebody has to go back to the Jericho Road to work out how to stop more people getting mugged. And I have a real fear that if we don't get politically involved, the church will spend the next 50 years in the UK being the paramedic to a sick system rather than speaking truth and justice and peace to the system itself. And one of the ways and one of the major ways that it happens, not the only way that it happens, but one of the major ways that happens is through being involved in politics. So I need to stop talking because I'm ranting and, and, uh, and enthusiastically shouting, but I would love to hear from yourselves. Having heard all this, what's, what's your response? Do you want to throw rotten tomatoes of heresy and say, no, hang on, hang on, that's not true, that's not a priority. What, what do you think about this stuff? I'd love to know because I could just rant on all day, but it'll be no use unless I hear where you're coming from. Lisa, can you come up for a wee second? Lisa... Uh, and then Ian, Ian and Peter, could you come up as well? So these guys have been involved in getting going Christians in politics in Northern Ireland, which has been bringing people together from right across the political parties to pray together, to be together, to act, sort of support one another, to encourage Christians to be involved in politics. And we'd really love to see some more young people get involved in that Christians in politics group. And we'd really love to see this place changed by new energy and new life and new faith. It's going to take a lot of prayer and I'm going to take a lot of effort, but maybe, just maybe, some of us in this tent might be involved in that journey. So I just wanted you to see these guys and they'll be involved helping so maybe answer some of these questions. But what are your questions? What are your things that you want to throw back? There are no wrong questions. There are no wrong answers. What are the things that make you go, yeah, 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 Andy, but, 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 but. So where's the other mic? Great. Will it reach? If you've got a question, can you come to the side here? And then it'll be really easy to speak into the mic and, and ask the question. And if, you've got, if you're the next person with a question, can you come up and form a little queue so we can do it quickly? Um, wait, is this working? Yeah. Absolutely. Great. Um, what like, qualifications do you need to get involved in the local council? Like, do you need to do politics right now or anything? Or do you just present yourself? And Brilliant question. Brilliant question. Brilliant. Thank you. So what's your name, sorry? Sophie. Sophie. Thank you, Sophie. Did everybody hear that okay? What qualifications do you need to get involved? Uh, the truth is absolutely none. Absolutely none. Um, honestly, you, you've, no, you've no idea. That no politics work needs to be done. No degrees need to be done. No courses need to be done. Most of the folks who are involved, who are local councillors, have not done any politics study, who have not done any. They're just people who care about their communities. So is it like mostly voluntary or do you get paid or what? You know, like yeah, you get, you get, you, you, do, you basically you get expenses being a local councillor, but very rarely do you actually get paid for doing it. So a lot of times people do it part time while doing another part time job, and they do the job. Some people do a full time job while they're also trying to do it, and it's 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 an incredibly it's a job. The local councillors I know, it's an incredible job of service. You get lots of flack and not much thanks, but it's an incredible job, and you learn so much in the process. You learn so much in the process, and there are more chances. There are actually so much more. We get you tend when we talk about politics, we tend to focus on Stormont, and we tend to focus, you know, on Dublin. We tend to focus on Westminster, you know, and and the, but actually the real opportunity is local. 
So I'm so glad you asked that question. The real opportunity to serve, it's a lot less tribal and a lot less infighty and a lot less, and so there are huge opportunities to serve locally. And often, often Christians are best placed to do that. That's great, that's great. Is any of you guys, Lisa? That was, wow, that felt biblical. Um, just uh, practically, I do think when you say you get expenses in Northern Ireland, I think you get like a stipend. So it's, I mean, it's not a salary in any uh, way, shape or form, but it does uh, compensate you for the time that you put in. And also to say that while there there's no set qualifications, once you do get involved, there is some level of briefing training would maybe be a strong word but a briefing in terms of getting read up and um, just for a sense of knowing what you're doing when you get there and then also one of the key ways to get in is to be a member of a local political party although you don't have to be you can do it as an independent as well and then on a shame plug some of you have got that book the influence course on your can you wave the influence course if it's landed on your seat if you've ended up with it in your seat somewhere Great. Can somebody wave, wave it nice and high so people can see? That is a six-week course for folks to do with, it, with some of the biblical background and lots of fun questions and lots of fun homework. That is a really good preparation for getting politically engaged. So that's called the Influence Course. So you can grab that book. You can do it online uh, or, or with the book that's designed for groups of people to do together. So that'll be a good, that'll be a good training. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Great question. Wait, and so I have one more question. So, what are you actually trying to do? Like, what kind of law? Are you trying to like enforce some laws, or like, what are you? But I don't know. I just that's great. Like, that's a great question. Like, actions? Are you actually? Like yeah. Just uh, trying to encourage Christians to be present and be. Oh, sorry. What are we actually doing? What What is Christians in politics about? We're trying to encourage Christians into all uh, to work as independents, but also majorly to be involved in all the political parties, to be salt and light in the midst of those political parties. As Christians, we've noticed our tendency is to kind of do our own thing and, and, and not actually work with people that we disagree with. But it's all about listening to folks that we won't agree with on everything, you know? Um, I, of, I often say there is, you know, one political party and I agree with 100% of their policies, um, but it's called the Andy Flanagan party. And it, has, and it has only one member and sadly it's me. Do you know what I mean? But that, as Christians, that's often the way we do it. You know, we, we, we paint ourselves into a corner till there's nobody left to go with and you know, nowhere left to go. So we encourage people to intentionally get involved so that you can make common cause with people you won't agree with on everything, but who you will find some common cause with. Because people don't agree with the people they're married to and they don't agree with everybody in their church, yet you find common cause. And, and then sometimes we're just a wee bit allergic Sometimes we need to just get in there and get to know people and listen. And we learn hugely in the process as well. So it's to be involved, to get involved, to see his kingdom come and his will be done in the realm of politics. But it's, it's, it's that representing his rule and reign, you know. And sometimes we want people to smell Jesus from us in the realm of politics. You know, we want people to come to know him. And we also, but there are also, you know, various people have various passions on various issues, whether that is trafficking, whether that is abortion, whether that is, you know, third world debt, whether, you know, that absolutely they want to see kingdom values involved in politics, but different people bring different things that, that come in. Yeah, thank you. Brilliant. Ian, do you want to say anything about the councillor thing? Yeah, I think there's um, a misconception, like Andy said, you don't need a qualification um, you know, to get involved in politics. I think it's having a heart for your community um, and being committed. You know, 80% of, there was a quote I heard originally, 80% of success is just showing up. And I think yeah. that's probably um, completely true for politics, I think. Um, it's having a heart for 
particular issues in the heart of your community, I think, is um, is the biggest thing. Yeah, brilliant. I suppose too the the big thing about the local council is it's it's free to stand for the local council, so anyone can stand as an independent, or you can stand as part of one of the main political parties. So you've two real routes in, and the big thing if you're going to stand as an independent is people are only going to vote for you if they see you in the community actively serving. If you're part of a political party, they might vote for you based on your party affiliation. So the best way if you're thinking of getting involved but you don't want to go down the, the party route is to just start finding needs and causes in your area that you can champion and work with and then you might find that that opens up doors for you into an elected role down the line but just start where you are you don't have to be a councillor to start caring about your community that's brilliant peter thank you and th- I mean the big thing about christians in politics it is folks from like across all the parties so it's it's incredible what happens when Christians from different parties come together and pray together. It's almost like, you know, when you're on your knees in front of the one who knows it all, you start to realize that maybe you don't know it all. <laughs> and it actually makes people a lot more able to listen to the other side and to be able to disagree well and to be able to, you know, take on board stuff and learn from the other side. And boy, do we need a bit of that in our nation, especially post-Brexit and especially on this island. Boy, do we need a bit of that, listening to the other side. And so coming together from different parties, you know, and Christians in Politics provides that space locally in different Christians in Politics groups around the country. Like in Leeds, there's a bunch of Christians in Politics come together and recently like nine of them got elected from different parties in the local council elections. And it was amazing, but like some of them were actually standing against each other, even though they were praying together on Zoom and coming together. So it's like, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And you know, quite often you've got, you know, what happens in, in Westminster, you've got like triplets of like red, green and blue or red, green and yellow coming together and praying together. And and the thing we've noticed is not only does it, if you're praying with people from the other side, not only does it make you more respectful of the other side, so your public pronouncements are a lot better and there's a lot less trash talking goes on and you're much better at actually articulating positively stuff in the public square. But the beautiful thing that we've noticed in people who have been doing this for years and praying with people from other parties for years is that they're actually better politicians than their peers. You know, they're actually better at it because we live in an age now with social media where it's actually easy for you guys to grow up being a rabble rouser for a certain cause, a rabble rouser for your tribe. But there's very few people who actually have the capacity or the skill to make an argument in the, in the cold light of day with somebody who disagrees with them. We're finding more and more that people are struggling to make an argument, struggling to persuade other people. But if you've spent your time praying with and being with people from the other side, all through your growth, you will have been making the arguments and learning from the other side and actually working out how to persuade somebody. So these guys are actually being better politicians. It's amazing to see how these guys are shining because they're not just living in their little silo and in their little progressive world or their little conservative world. Because you know, if you just stick to social media and, and be an armchair activist, that's inevitably what happens. You end up just getting stuck in one of those camps and you can't actually make an argument once you hit the real world. Sorry, Tim. So, uh, so I've done some theological training for the Church of Ireland and I sort of off the back of some of the training that we did I found that we did a lot of navel gazing really about sort of social issues you know the world around us politics and history in, in Ireland north and south which drove me oh sorry which drove me on then to to join the local party and, and I'm now branch chaplain for a local party 
And you, uh, my question really, that's just a bit of context. My question really is, uh, you've already touched on it a wee bit, but for those of us who are interested in getting involved in local parties, getting active, how do we go about choosing a party to uh, join and support, especially in the sort of div- difficult political landscape of Northern Ireland? Um, and even even for, uh, there might be a, a few Southern brethren here, um, you know, in the difficult political landscape in the South. Um, and a, a, a sort of supplementary question to that, is there, is there need maybe for a particularly or an expressly Christian party um, when we look to our continental neighbours? Um, you know, like uh, in Germany, you've got the Christian Democrats uh, and some of the other Scan- Scandinavian countries. Do you think we need something like that here in Ireland, especially in Northern Ireland, to try and break our stalemate? Um, so, uh, I'll take it and then pass back to you. Um, I think the question on which party to choose. Honestly, I think in the Northern Ireland context, it's one of the most difficult just because of the history and it's it's okay to acknowledge that. I think if you are making that decision, you're never gonna be fully resolved. As Andy was saying, there's no perfect party and particularly here, there can be really messy histories, but it's wise to maybe just look at what that party stands for, look at what they're investing in and what they're proposing and go to the party that you can align closest with according to your convictions and pray about it um, and then do it knowing that you're going to be in there with a group of people who you're just, there's going to be diverse views and there's going to be complexities there um, and I, w- I would say I would say that's where the missional adventure is you know that doing stuff with people who we don't agree with and everywhere is where the evangelistic missional adventure is and, and I would say that, that's one of the downsides of the Christian party thing. You end up yet again as Christians, we end up just hanging out with Christians again. And the, and the truth is that Christians don't actually agree. And, and sometimes it's a nice idea to think of a Christian party, but the, the truth is all the Christians I know have very different opinions on a lot of the issues right across the spectrum. So it doesn't always work out to be any any better. And I, th- I, think, I think we need more Christians integrating into society rather than forming our own thing, truth be told. I would say in terms of choosing where you end up, I think God guides us through relationships as much as through policies and manifestos and things like that. Most of the really fruitful um, stepping into party experiences that I've seen people have, have actually happened through people following where the favor is. Just just my question, like who's just the next relationship? Who's the next person you're gonna have coffee with? Who's your local counselor? You can find out who they are and go and introduce yourself to them and find out if you click with them. If you do, maybe there's something in that. You know, just, God often guides us relationally where the favor is. And often that's a stronger intimation than, than even wh- wh- whether you like the policies or not. God often just leads us like that way. And you know, you look at the biblical examples of Christians getting involved in politics. You look at Esther, you look at Joseph, you look at Daniel. Quite often there's been something spectacularly supernatural about how they've got involved. They've interpreted a dream. That's how they've got to that place of favor. They've had a word of knowledge. And so we have to make sure that we keep kind of really rooted spiritually 
this is not just like, this is not extracurricular. This is like, oh, right, we do the devotional stuff. We do the Sunday morning stuff. And then this is the kind of the practical outworking. This, this is our walk with Jesus. This is hoping to hear the miraculous from him. The number of times where I've been praying and God's nudged me to go like, just turn down that corridor to the right in parliament. And it's exactly the person that I need to have a conversation with. It's exactly the MP that I need to speak to. Do you know what I mean? This stuff, you know, we're not expected to do this on our own. We're not expected to be superheroes. But we do have this incredible thing called the Holy Spirit, which will sometimes guide us if we, if we allow him to guide us into the, you know, into the right place, into the right relationships. So somehow, sometimes it will be just following his lead relationally into the right place rather than sitting, looking at a hundred websites going, oh, do I like them? Oh, I don't like that. You know, just sometimes you need to get moving and just get to know some people and then follow the favor. You know, does that make sense? Then? Just very quickly to say, well done. Credit to you because it's not easy. Well done. More questions. There must be there must be more questions. Can we have some questions from somebody that's less than twenty? No, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. Thank you, guys. Um, uh, I had to look it up there because I remember it happening at the time. Um, the leader of the Lib Dems was it Tim Farron. He decided that he would have to step down because he was constantly pressed about his Christian beliefs. Um, what would you say to someone who? Uh, you know, might be thinking about that and then might be worried, okay, well, I know my belief on that, but, you know, how would, how would they go about that, um, dealing with that sort of questioning, I suppose? Great. Absolutely. I mean, there's no getting away from the fact that it can be really challenging at times, but what some people forget that, you know, Tim Farron is still a very functional uh, MP, Member of Parliament. The folks that actually know Tim Farr and the folks that work with him in Parliament still greatly respect him and do a lot of work with him. And in fact, I can't think of anybody that's spoken in public more than Tim Farron over the course of the last two years. You know, he, he has not been cancelled. And it's very easy as Christians, especially in this part of the world, to get into a bit of a persecution complex that, you know, everybody's out to get us and you can't say this and you can't say that. It's, it's not actually true. Social media is not the world. It's only a little slice. It's only a little slice of the world. And actually people that know people through relationships, like, like the people that work with him know him. They know him and trust him and know what kind of person he is. And so they, you know, those folks are still, he's still being very effective in the role that he is. So sometimes, again, we can hear stories like that. You know, Kate Forbes, the recent example you'll know, um, who recently stood for the leadership of the SNP, also because she was saying some of the things she believed in. She took a bit of flack in the media. But remember, she got 48% of, and that's not 48% of the public, that's 48% of SNP activists. So it would appear that more people out there actually do agree with Christians on various issues in a way that means that we go, well, actually, we don't have to, you know, we have to be loving and careful in everything we articulate and we have to be listening to other people and taking on board everybody's views. But actually, there is a place of saying, well, actually, you know, this is, this is honestly where I'm coming from. And, you know, you, you gotta, the reality is that everybody brings their worldview into politics. You know, and actually, it's more honest for Christians because you're able to say, "Well, you know, I, I bring a sort of a Christian worldview into politics," and and you should, so don't don't be scared or think that well, because you're Christian and you're stepping in that somehow you're going to be stopped from saying anything or or doing anything because everybody brings a particular worldview in, and and you know, it, it's it's not the glass ceiling is honestly not there. So I think, and the Kate Forbes is a really Kate Forbes example is a really good example um, of of you know just how many people actually jumped to her support. That was quite clear. 
So, yeah, but it's, a, it's an absolutely fair question. And so I'm not saying it's not going to be easy. That's why Christians in politics exist, to be a resource and a fellowship and a support that other people who are also on this journey, who are in this battle, that we can support one another and pray for one another. Because there will be hits and it will be challenging, but that's the adventure that we're called to with Jesus. We're called to this place of being involved in the mess. That's Jesus did. That was the incarnation. That was Jesus not choosing to stay safe in heaven, but in get involved in the mess of earth. So there couldn't be anything more incarnational than getting involved in the, in the mess of politics and following Jesus into those difficult places. So it, yeah, it will be challenging, but, but that's where the adventure is. Um, I would also just uh, add to that, that for Christians uniquely in politics, your identity isn't on the line because you are there with that higher vision and, and purpose. And so um, for many professional politicians, their job is their life. And that, that can be really hard. And um, when they are in that, the like rough and tumble, and it is rough. Um, but for Christians, even when you lose, if you're following the Holy Spirit, there'll be life there. And even on the journey, there'll be life there. And you never know what impact you're having or what ripple effects you're having. So there is, well, if you're going to stand for election, you know you're, you're standing for election and you're following that. But, but there's also a different perspective that we can bring to politics and to winning and losing in politics that is refreshing to everybody that's going to come into con encounter with it and also gives that security for if and when it does uh, get difficult. Yeah, well, I'd say about the Tim Farron situation, the ironic thing is that, is that people are looking for politicians who have integrity and stand up for what they believe in. Um, I think it's very difficult for most parties that you join, you won't agree with everything that they, they stand for, and that's regardless of what party um, you join. But I think people actually respect you more when you stand up for what you believe in instead of just going along with what society tells you, what the media tells you. So... Um, yeah, even though Tim had to stand down, I think he, ironically, I think people are, you know, if there's one thing we're crying out for the last two years, it's politicians who have integrity and stand up for what they actually believe in instead of just going with the crowd. So, um, yeah, that would be something certainly that Christians in politics is certainly about, is about standing up for really what we believe is right. Yeah. I suppose uh, the other thing to bear in mind is that whenever you're putting yourself out there in the public sphere as a Christian or as a non-Christian, people are looking for opportunities to tear you down so yes as Christians there's certain things that they can use to attack us but if you were in that sphere as a non-believer they would be finding other things to attack you on and you only need to watch the news or watch any of the, the coverage of any politics for a short period of time to find that there are always things that politicians are getting attacked for regardless of their beliefs on various moral issues so the fact that they're attacking Christians or attacking the likes of Tim Parron because of his particular beliefs on marriage, if it wasn't for that, they'd have found something else. And the good thing that we have as Christians is obviously we have that identity. We have that approval of the Father. We know that we're secure, that people are attacking us. We know that we are still loved by God. So we have that hope to stand on that can help us weather those storms. And like Ian said, and that's what Christians in politics is there for as well to, to be that encouraging base to hopefully provide some support to those political leaders who are taking moral stands and maybe finding that they're getting a bit of flack for it 
so you're you're not in a, alone. There's there's a whole network of people behind the scenes there, praying for you, supporting you, encouraging you. And that's one of the big roles of Christians in politics is to provide the support network behind the scenes for politicians who are taking a stand on some of those moral issues. Andy, you mentioned um, rabble-rousing earlier, and I'm just curious to hear thoughts on where do you think, or if you do think there's space for rousing the rabble and Jesus flipping tables, and can you maybe think of a, uh, an issue in the past, I don't know, time period where, why weren't Christians, you know, getting angry? Why weren't Christians leading protests or whatever that could look like? Yeah, no, absolutely. Jesus did sometimes turn over the tables, and one of the mantras of... Uh, Christians in politics is kingdom before tribe and disagree well and we're trying to come together and disagree well but there are times where Jesus didn't disagree politely he turned the tables over and there are times where it's absolutely right to do that I think it's just our perspective that on the whole when you look at how tribal and how aggressive and how nasty the public sphere is that the main prophetic input into that public sphere needs to be can we listen to each other, please? <laughs> Can we disagree well? But there absolutely are times where we need to be rabble-rousing. And I, and I think a good example of that, um, of that rabble-rousing working together with Christians being on the inside, is when you look back to the, the Jubilee Debt Campaign, 1999, 2000, 2001, probably before many of you were born. Um, but, um, you know, there was a campaign then all about debt relief and all about the, the WTO and all about trade rules around the world and how a lot of the money that we were giving to try and help countries in the developing world was actually being wasted because they were having to pay off these huge debts. And we wanted to see those debts removed and we want to see some of the legislation changed around that. And so many Christians were like sending postcards, marching on the streets, make poverty history, that huge, lots and lots of campaigning and that was absolute rabble rousing. But the only reason some of that stuff got changed because there were also some Christians involved in the Department for Economic Development, the Department for International Development. And so some of those debts got written off. It was the combination of campaigning and being loud and sending postcards and being on the street and protesting and Christians involved on the inside. And both are legitimate, you know? And, um, and we need Christians working on the inside and Christians working on the outside. And has that screen worked yet? No. Because the last thing we want to do is actually show you a video about exactly that. Um, but it doesn't seem to be working. Are any of the tech team around? Any of the tech team around? Do, do, do. Can you see anything on the screen right now? No. Oh, the projector's gone to sleep. Thank you, sir. Any other questions? Just while we're waiting for the video to start? Stevie. Uh, in relation to what Robin just said there, is it not important to distinguish between rabble rousing about the issue rather than people? Because we get all too, per too personal, um, particularly from this part of the world, rather than and being able to learn to distinguish it is about issues rather than about rabble rousing about individuals. I, mean, I think that goes back to what Lisa was so wisely saying, that especially in this part of the world, and especially with stuff like Brexit, that's when the issues have become a larger part of ident our identity than they should be. You know, when the, when the red, white, and blue, or the green, white, and gold, or Brexit, or Remain becomes the key part of our identity, 
then that becomes our primary identity rather than our identity being in Christ fully and strongly rooted that's when those issues that's when those the arguments around those issues become visceral isn't it that's when when somebody pokes our issue when it when we've allowed our identity we've, we've given too much of our identity you know and you actually could call that idolatry you know that these aren't bad things these political things aren't bad things but if we allow them to loom too large they become idols just like food and sex and money you know they're good things but if we allow them to take too much of our hearts and to take too much control of us, and that's what you're seeing going on with the Brexit debate and what you see going on with the debate over our island, you know? It's like it's impossible to just have that academic philosophical discussion because it's actually, we've allowed it to grab too much of our identity. So we, we actually have a visceral reaction when somebody pokes us or where we see something or we see a flag in a certain place. It's a visceral, ugly reaction. And so it goes right back to what Lisa was saying about identity. Oh, it's on, great. At risk of being somewhat controversial, <laughs> I think in Northern Ireland there can be a tendency because in our history we have experienced bad politics and conflict in the in lived memory. There can be an apathy around issues because it's not as bad as it was. But at the minute there are real real difficult like people are suffering in northern ireland society and we do c have a tendency sometimes to opt out or step back or or have a kind of low-lying apathy when actually change could happen and it could happen quickly and ideas are necessary and needed and so rabble rousing you know given our history maybe like but c contribution to debate is like there's an open blank canvas there if people step forward and then on the somewhat uh, more controversial in terms of the church's voice in particular I do think there are occasions when the church has um, not spoken or not seen and it's I'm saying this on the basis because it's exactly what came to mind when you said that Robin and it's been spoken to me by non-Christians um, about the abortion debate and they say well the church and the Me Too movement Where's the church in the fact that Northern Ireland has the worst domestic violence rates across the board and, and the assault rates are, are really, really bad here. And I think there is a there's a necessity for humility as Christians to, to go into it and to be aware that there are a whole lot of issues that we can contribute to and to not perhaps have that tendency to just linger back and stick to what we're familiar with, but to, to press in and pursue that. Controversial, sorry. Anything else, right? We'll finish with this video. And guys, before you leave, please scribble your email address down, Ian. And guys, do scribble your email down before you go there um, so we can keep in touch. And if there's anything being seated and anything that's been started in your heart or head today, that we can, we can keep it going. So the guys have got um, things to scribble on here. Um, but here's the video.